Sky King, Sky King, do not answer. Victor. Foxtrot. Authentication. Delta Golf. I say again. Sky King, Sky King, do not answer. This is Collapse Health. From London, England. A podcast about mysteries, the paranormal, and phenomena. You are listening to Anomaly. Here is your host, Glitters. Hello, hello, Glitters here in London with a delayed new podcast and uh, our sincere apologies for that. But uh, life has been incredibly busy here in the UK. This time around, an absolute treat for you. This goes back to December 2016 when I had the opportunity to interview Steph Young. Steph is an author of books about mysteries and missing people. You should love this. It was a great interview and I was very honoured to speak to her. And so we welcome Steph Young to the show. Steph Young has a BA in business and is a qualified English tutor. She grew up reading paranormal magazines in the UK and began to write freelance articles on the paranormal and supernatural. She gathered so much research, she decided to put them into books. She's now an independent researcher addicted to researching all paranormal, supernatural esoteric and enigmatic mysteries each book she writes seems to lead her to further questions and searches for answers as the mysteries inevitably deepen and develop into ever more complex riddles in the spectrum of the unknown steph young hello hello thank you for having me on thank you for coming on it's taken a little (laughs) bit of time to get you you're very popular um did you write that bio uh, might have done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I really had to concentrate on reading that one. So, uh, it's quite good. long, isn't it? It is, actually. Yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, Steph, you, you are a difficult person to get hold of, and uh, you're on quite a few radio shows around the world. Um, I've heard you on uh, Midnight in the Desert with Heather Wade and Coast to Coast, and uh, also you're friends with Soraya as well. I am. I consider myself very, very lucky to have been asked to go on those shows because that's how I got interested in these kind of topics, by listening to these shows. So I'm very, very thankful. No, that's good. And um, so out of uh, an average week, I mean, how many um, requests do you get to go on the radio? Um, Quite a few, really. Quite a few. Um, I kind of don't accept them all really I suppose because I do spend about 16 hours a day researching as well so I'm addicted to doing the research and sometimes it's hard to find the time to do the shows. Absolutely yeah but uh, you know you've got to write those books and if you're going to write those you've got to do the research as well. Um, How do you sort of spend your time researching is it an an all-day thing? Yeah absolutely from the moment I get up um, because it's compulsive to me because some of the stories that I come across which are true stories have so many different angles or they might have some really cryptic clues to them or you think that you've found a case which is for example clearly an alien abduction but when you look into all the possibilities and you find more evidence it can take you in an entirely different direction so that's what fascinates me the way that stories can can go down really long winding paths and veer off and you never know what you're going to find. 
No, it's very true. I think uh, once you start scratching away at the surface of a story, it can be uh, amazing what creeps out from underneath. Um, just tell us a little bit about your background, Steph. Um, it says here you're a qualified English tutor. So, Did you ever work as a teacher or a tutor itself? Yeah, I used to teach English language at language colleges, and I also worked as a private tutor in English literature. So that was teaching A-level English, um, you know, to help with the exams. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, I mean, for our international listeners, A-level here in the UK is, uh, I don't know how that would uh, translate to, say, the American school system, but it's uh, above high school, I I guess, Mm. is probably the easiest way to say it. Um, So, apart from um, the tutoring, uh, what, what other jobs have you had in the past? I have worked with patients with learning disabilities and challenging behaviour, being their therapist, not a counsellor therapist, um, a recreational therapist. So you do all the fun activities with them. So playing cricket, having discos, um, going for picnics, that sort of thing. (laughs) All hard (laughs) work then. Yeah, all the fun things. But also I did work in secure units as well, which is working with very, very dangerous people. Sure. Um, Playing ping pong (laughs) and indoor cricket. Yeah, oh, so that's good. You see, and as much as I love to explain to people about uh, Englishisms, as I call them, I'm, I'm not even going to begin to try and explain cricket. <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> it. And uh, I'm sure our American friends who have got their own strange sports, it's fair to say, um, I just wouldn't know where to start <laughs> with cricket. Um, okay, so you have been writing books for how long now? Um, about four or five years, because when I... I mean, I actually got into it by writing to a magazine that you can get in. I got today, actually, in Smith's. It's very exciting. And it's um, called Fate and Fortune, and there's another one as well. So they have all paranormal experiences that people send in, true stories. And that, that fascinated me for years, reading those stories. And one day I thought, well, I really would like to write about this myself. And so I contacted them and I said, um, would you like a story about mysterious beasts in the forests? They said yes. Of course. And so I thought, oh no, what have I done? I'm going to have to write it now. And so I wrote it and I was so lucky that they said, oh, it's really good. And they didn't tell me it was rubbish. So I started writing articles. But I mean, there's not that many magazines out there, you know, with the advance of the internet. So then I thought, well, okay, I'm going to write some books. And that's how it it progressed. Mm. I I find with magazines now, and I've not, um, read Fate or Fortune, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but uh, I get the, um, the 14 times every month. Oh, um, that's great, isn't it? It is great, but what I've noticed with magazines is that the price of them is going through the roof, and mm. I, I think that's mm. really because of the internet, and um, rather than waiting every month for something to drop onto the mat or to run mm. off to Smith's like you did today, um, mm. it, you know, it's so much easier just to Google something and read, but the, the, I think what you miss... Um, when you don't get the magazines, is that um, is the research that goes into it. Certainly people like you, people like Nick Redfern, um, do an awful lot of research before writing your articles. And, you know, and so you can reference what you're saying if you have to, um, whereas somebody who's doing a website perhaps can just write whatever they like. So, um, you, you know, you're getting uh, a, a, quality, uh, a quality article, perhaps it's probably the easiest way to say it. I think you're right. Um, so maybe for every page that I write, um, might have taken me six weeks, six weeks to get all the information together. Um, Sorry, yeah. did you say for each page? For, sometimes, yeah. It no could way. Do. 
if, if it's a, not each page maybe that's a silly thing to say I mean maybe each story you know so maybe okay. three or four pages would be one story true story that you've come across but to get to the kernel of truth inside of it could take you weeks yeah. um, I remember once I was looking into a story about a famous artist who there was the suggestion that he had been influenced by black-eyed kids these apparitions of children that appear that have got jet black eyes with no white in them at all and that took me months and months to work on um, with all the connections that maybe there were um, UFO sightings around the same time and there was a story connected to it where two little boys had somehow or other been able to transport themselves out of locked rooms and appear on boats in a port 20 or so miles away mm-hmm. and so there were all these really strange connections related to it um that took months and months to look into and that's in one of your books it's in one of the books yeah do, do you off the top of your head do you remember which one that is because i'd really be interested in that that's in hunted in the woods hunted in the woods okay i'll make a note of that um, yeah. that is cool okay uh, and i still don't think i've got to the bottom of it no but then you know i think part of the art of this is that you know you can faithfully retell a story as told to you and report everything that you know about it without feeling the need to be able to put a cap on it you know and just say right this is the answer because Mm. sometimes you're never going to have the answer no no that's it and and people will have different opinions as well so I might say it was clearly this but actually it Perhaps it wasn't, and I'm not an expert in this at all. I, I'm just a researcher. So, what I love about this field as well with, is that people who are interested in it often have um, so much information or so much experience in researching or studying or reading about these things themselves that that's great because the contribution that everybody puts into it can be really fascinating. You get all different sides to what could be the same story. Sure. Do you feel that you come under much pressure from people to actually give an answer to a mystery? No. um, I like to think that people enjoy the fact that I will look at every, I look at something from every perspective. So instead of focusing in on one thing, I'll look at every possible solution that there could be to it, but I'll leave it for them to decide. So I won't, I won't say this is what happened. I'll say you have a range of options here and you can decide what you think might have happened. So if something mysterious happens in the woods and this strange creature appears, well, it could be that could be, could be a mutant um, program that's gone wrong and this monster's turned up in the woods. Or it could be somebody who's hallucinating because they're very, yeah. very tired and they haven't eaten or drunk. Or it could be that there's really a demonic apparition that's appeared it could be something that's come out of a portal or a dimension it could be something from another planet you know it goes on and on and and that's for that's for the reader to decide sure but so really what you're doing then is you're retelling the information with an open mind to allow somebody else to come to their own conclusions yeah that's cool yeah okay um when i was doing a bit of research on you um i was listening to an episode uh, one of soraya's shows um and he referred to you um i don't know whether you know it or not but uh, he he rather than being an author or anything else he referred to you as being a collector of strange stories which i I thought was a really interesting way to put it um do do you see yourself as a collector yes i like that because although i haven't read that many books in this arena and i should have done but um i always 
feel like I'd like to be Charles Fort, who yeah. would spend all of his time in the library and not leave and just look at all the um, newspapers and go back over years and years and just find all these strange stories. Um, so I like that, yeah. I, I like that kind of um, appeal, yeah. And that's good in a way as well, because if you are collecting stories and, and you've got the passion to learn, you strike me as somebody who's got the passion for research, mm. um, you know, and you're not, um, how can I put it, uh, being mercenary, you're not being mercenary at all. You're you're putting out what you have um, for people to get, and uh, you know people choose to buy the books. That's great. Um, you're you're uh, quite well published on Amazon, I believe. Yeah. 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 So, um, are you, some of your books are they all audio? Uh, sorry, are they all um, e-books or can you get paperback copies? I've put them into paperbacks actually, um, and a lovely man who's a very great artist was so kind and did all of my new covers for me so i'm so pleased now because they look really scary i did see some of those on facebook actually i thought they were very good they're uh, good aren't they yeah, yeah absolutely um, should we so, give them a name check or oh martin kimberley martin kimberley he's on facebook it's on the back of my books on the paperbacks and it's also inside my kindle books so it's martin kimberley martin dot kimberley on facebook great artist excellent now we're looking mm-hmm. to that a bit deeper so he's obviously got an interest in this topic as well well I, I don't know so much that he has actually but somebody contacted me a friend of his i think it must have been and, and he'd made the comment on this man's facebook and said oh one of her books would be great with some of your art and i saw the comment and i said yes it would <laughs> please okay. can i have some he was so kind he did it for nothing for me i mean oh, there are some amazingly kind people in this in this field and that i'm always grateful when i come across somebody like that that's so excellent. Yeah, that's really good. All right, well, let's talk about the stories then. Um, so the first case we're going to talk about today is the mysterious disappearance and death of an American guy called Henry McCabe. Um, Steph, could you walk us through the basics on the Henry McCabe story, please? Well, Henry McCabe disappeared on Labor Day, which is September the 7th, back in 2015, he lived in Minnesota and he was um, a tax auditor for the author- the authorities there. Well, he'd gone to a nightclub with um, a couple of friends and his wife was away staying with friends. He had quite a bit to drink, they say, and he asked his friend on the way home to drop him off at a gas station, which I think sort of sold food and things. Well, it seems that then he disappeared. When it was discovered that he had disappeared, that was when the searches began for him. But the thing that caught everybody's attention was the fact that the police eventually released um, a very, very bone-chilling voicemail message that he had left. Now, whether he'd actually dialed and left that message himself on purpose or whether somebody had been with him and left that message deliberately... Um, is up for debate. The voice itself um, is horrific because it's happening at about 2.30 in the morning and he can be heard screaming and howling and growling as well. Um, It sounds like he's being tortured to death. The screams are just raw, animalistic and he sounds like he's in agony. Mm. Well, I don't know what's happening to him because... He was found um, about five days later after the search had been very, very extensive for him in the area that they believed he'd disappeared in. But he was seven miles away 
and he was found by a kayaker and he was half submerged in the water. But the very strange thing is that although they deemed that his death was probably caused by drowning, there were no marks on his body. There weren't even any defensive wounds on his body. So there was nothing there to, to explain why he'd been screaming and howling and growling. And there's also the belief that at the end of the voicemail, he had actually been with somebody because somebody else could be heard saying to him, stop it, in mm. a very, very cold, very calm and controlled voice. So, of course, this story sort of went all over the internet because it was so disturbing, the actual sound of what's going on. But it's so difficult to explain what was happening because it didn't leave any marks. So was he being tasered? Possibly, but again, no marks. Was he being waterboarded? Um, I don't think so. So, so many people have sort of said, well, was there some kind of supernatural thing going on? Um, and I mean, actually, somebody did contact me, somebody that I, I have a lot of liaison with, in fact, over deaths very like this that could perhaps be related, but may not be. Um, and he said to me, I was um, doing some sort of EVP type recordings one winter in the same kind of area, not not exactly there, but and he had caught uh, something really horrific um, as well on his recording and he sent me that recording and he said does it sound anything like that and again that's that's really really chilling that one uh, I mean, so that was something that was supposed to have been recorded something coming from a spiritual dimension and being recorded like when they do ghost investigations and they find a, vo a voice on the on the recording well i don't know about that that's one possibility was he simply just taken by somebody who knew him driven away and left there I, I don't know his mother left a very sort of chilling remark actually when she was interviewed and she said and I don't know why but she said it she said it was almost like my son was taken away and he was delivered to be a sacrifice now oh, I don't God. know what would make her say that but that struck a chord with me because I've been looking into a succession of deaths um, that have been going on for the last two decades where boys or, or young men slightly younger actually than Henry because Henry was um, in his 30, 31 but the, these these other cases have been going on for two decades and were in fact first investigated by a homicide detective and his partner in New York where college age boys were going out for the night and being separated somehow from their friends, quite often being thrown out of pubs for being drunk. Sure. But in fact, when you look back on the evidence, there's very little evidence that they were causing any kind of disturbance. Um, and they've often left very chilling voicemail messages saying that they're being chased or followed or they don't know why they're in trouble. Um, we even have a case in Manchester that was very similar where a man called David Blunkett had left a civic um, music festival in a civic um, hall and he'd been thrown out because he'd, he'd had too much to drink they said and quite possibly he had but he phoned his parents um, in distress and at first he, he couldn't actually talk at all and then he just let out one very long scream well a retired yeah a retired detective um, again actually looked into this case um, for a documentary and he said well the police say that he he simply fell in. Um, he was found miles away in Manchester from where he'd left 
the, the, the music festival and he had gone into the water and drowned. But his phone had been almost looked like it had been placed beside the water. To get into the water, he would have to have climbed a fence. And the police themselves said, well, I think the scream came because he was falling down the slight decline which led to the water. Well, that's all very well and good, but he would have to have still climbed over a fence mm -hmm. to get into the water. And his glasses were found beside the phone. So almost as though somebody had placed them there as some kind of taunt, you know. Um, and there, so, I mean, I, I've written a couple of books on this, these particular cases, because um, they they are very, very complex. Um, not all of them, of the 300, are going to be exactly related. They could be accidents, they could be homicides, totally unrelated. But there is something very, very sinister going on. And I'm working very closely with some people who have um, a lot of information that at this stage would be very dangerous to release. But um, Sure, and we, we obviously want to steer clear of that. But um, yeah, it's... Um, so, you know, it, it's almost like the same with these cases so you can go from possible explanations um the very mundane explanation is well they took some drugs and they drowned but actually there's there's evidence that some of them did have drugs in their system drugs that they'd never tried before and would never really ever have taken according to their friends um so there's the supposition that actually they're being drugged um but there's the possibility you can look at for the paranormal there and in fact it's somebody who made one of the batman films went and made a documentary about looking into the cases that had been happening not far from where henry lived and they had used evps to try and capture anything paranormal on it and in fact the only thing that really happened was that their batteries kept dying so when they were trying to record all the time the batteries would die when they'd gone out onto the lake to try and record um so people were looking at all sorts of different angles um, i think it's a very human element that's causing this but there's also the possibility of um let's say sort of metaphysical um it, People, people can believe in things like rituals and mm. the ritual of sacrificing somebody, releasing that person's spirit and sort of the belief that you can take that person's spirit and use it for yourself to get energy and power and things. Well, okay, so, you know, so some sort of uh, dark arts, perhaps. Yeah, and if you don't believe in that, it sounds nonsense. Um, the thing is, though, some people do believe in that. Yeah. Now, whether it works or not, again, is debatable. But, but but you could still carry out something like this in the belief that it does work, even though it may not. Well, that, you know, that's so. absolutely right. I mean, you had the case in London a few years ago of Baby Adam, for instance. Um, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with that at all. Um, but it was uh, the torso of a young child that was uh, sort of pulled out of the Thames River. Uh, where, yeah. uh, he, you know, he'd clearly been uh, the victim of... Um, some sort of uh, ritual or, um, you mm. know, or attempt at magic or for whatever, um, and you know, and they 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 traced him down to uh, I believe it was a, a village in Africa somewhere through his DNA. But uh, but going back to Henry McCabe, um, when when he was found, what sort of time had elapsed between him going missing and when his body was found? Do you know? Yeah, it was about five days. Oh, really? That soon? Okay. Mm. So uh, he had been at this nightclub, which is now closed down, um, oh. and he'd been with a friend. Mm. 
and uh, it was reported that his friend had taken his wallet off of him in order to basically to cut him off i.e to stop him from drinking any more Mm. Um, now whether whether that's true or not i don't know it's just what i read um but uh, I, i was interested to see basically how much alcohol would have been in his system when he was found um, you know, and whether that. I mean, I could I could be wrong, Paul, because I haven't looked at this one for quite a while, actually. So it could be that he. I, I don't. I know that yes, his wallet was taken off him, mm. and some people were saying, well, that means that the friends were actually going to take him and do something to him because who would do that? But I think it makes sense if somebody was drunk to take their wallet. Um, yeah, doesn't absolutely. mean you're going to kill them. It just means you're looking out for them. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm with you on that. I think um, if if you. Uh, I've got a friend. I mean, because there, there's there's further information that McCabe may have been in uh, some sort of financial difficulty, etc. And if, if that's the case, then yes, it would make perfect sense for his friends to take his wallet off him and say, right, no more booze for you. Um, mm. You know, and we're going to get you home. Um, now, when the um, police got involved and they spoke to the friends who had dropped him off, um, initially I think there was some sort of mistake or confusion about where he was dropped off and it turned mm. out to be another petrol station a few miles away. Um, <clears throat> so, you, you know, and but there's CCTV footage of him being dropped off. Now, for him to get the four miles from that petrol station to where he died sort of it either means that he's walked that and if you're incredibly drunk that can't be that easy um but uh, or, or he got a lift with somebody else um who knows so unfortunately we've got to take a break now steph anyway um what we'll do is we'll uh, just play the adverts we'll come back after that and um just sort of sum it up and then listen to this voice recording and go over that and see what we think um so uh, stay where you are and we'll be back after this and we're back. So uh, we've still got Steph Young with us. Uh, Steph is an author of uh, books on mysterious disappearances and deaths and also strange things that happen in the woods. Um, I'm sure uh, I've been witness to a couple of strange things in the woods, but that's not for tonight. <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> I'll keep that to myself. Thank you very much. So, Steph, um, before the break, we were talking about... Um, this strange voicemail that had been left by Henry McCabe on uh, his wife's vo- uh, his wife's mobile phone. Um, I think you said that she was working away, or she'd gone to her parents, or something. I, if I remember correctly, I think she's going to stay with some friends. Okay, so he's taken the opportunity then to go out uh, with his friends for the evening while she's away. Yeah. Um, so I just think he's in Minnesota and uh, she's obviously some distance away. Let's uh, have a listen to this. Now, I believe you said this was about 2.30 in the morning? Yes. Okay. Now, to people who have heard this before, obviously, um, you know, it's a, a strange thing. But for people who hear it for the first time, it can actually be quite disturbing. So, uh, and uh, see what you can uh, do. I'm going to apologise in advance because I can't find the original audio for this. This this is taken from the news on an American TV station. So, see what you think. It's a voicemail unlike anything you've ever heard before. There are two minutes worth of noises, bizarre ones. But very little actual talking. Authorities confirmed the disturbing middle-of-the-night call came from Henry McCabe's cell phone. It was Labor Day, September 7th at 2.28 in the morning. McCabe's worried wife... 
heard the message. The tortured grunts suddenly stop. There is silence. Then someone, either Henry or another person, says, stop it. Now, unfortunately, you don't hear the person say stop it in this in this particular uh, uh, clip. But and, and I can't find it anywhere. Um, have you looked for it yourself online, Steph? Yeah, it's not there now. It It's gone. It was gone ages ago. Yeah. It's really peculiar because it's something that I remember hearing the whole thing. Mm. I, mm. I, I absolutely remember hearing the whole thing back last year. And everywhere I look now, it's just not mm. available, which is very mm. peculiar indeed. Um, mm. What, what uh, as, as you listen to it again and you refresh your memory, what, what do you make of that? I don't understand what those noises are being caused by. Um, the most mundane explanation is um, somebody very drunk, somebody perhaps had taken some kind of substance that leaves the body quite soon afterwards, but makes you hallucinate. Um, maybe, maybe he really wasn't being hurt, but um, because it's so chilling to listen to. And I think, I suppose... It, as I say, it took my attention because I, I've, I've been looking into so many cases where young men are found drowned, but very often don't have any water in their lungs, so have not been killed in the water, but killed elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I suppose I come, I, I, I'm a little bit biased, perhaps, in terms of looking at it um, from that perspective and thinking there's a lot more to to this. Um, but but what that answer is, I'm, I don't know. I don't know in this case. Yeah, it's very strange. I think, I mean, my own perspective, I've listened to it a few times now, and mm-hmm. it, it helps, I think, that uh, I've not allowed myself to be told what it is, if, the, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I, I kind of came to my own conclusion on it. And, you know, and I, I think you hear basically two different people on that clip. Um, I, I don't know how that sits with you, but, I mean, there are some noises on there that sound general, genuinely like somebody in pain. Um, and there are other noises on there that sound like somebody just making stupid noises. I mean, there's there's at one stage there, I, I can hear what to me sounds like a I don't know, like a chicken clucking, for instance. I mean, I I don't, I don't wish mm. to, I don't wish mm. to downplay it, but uh, mm. it doesn't strike me as a sort of noise that somebody would make when they are in pain. And yet there are other noises on there which, you know, quite obviously are somebody in in distress. Um, which sort of led me to think, well, you know, if if the guy's not got um, that much in the way of injuries on him, um, then was he perhaps sedated um, and somebody was doing something to him, you know, like torturing him with pressure points or something, and that person, as part of that, was making some very peculiar noises. Um, do, Do you think it would help if we listened to it again? Yes. Okay, let's have a little go. It's a voicemail unlike anything you've ever heard before. There are two minutes worth of noises, bizarre ones. And that that's the particular bit which strikes me as weird. That doesn't strike me as the noise of somebody who is in pain, but we'll carry on. But very little actual talking. Authorities confirmed the disturbing middle-of-the-night call came from Henry McCabe's cell phone. It was Labor Day, September 7th at 2.28 in the morning. McCabe's worried wife heard the message. The tortured grunts suddenly stop. There is silence. Then someone, either Henry or another person, says, stop it.
Oh, yeah, it's very peculiar. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I, think, I, I can only go with my first um, instinct on it. And I could be well <laughs> incredibly wrong, I, I think, uh, probably best. It's actually a perspective, though, that I don't think many have said your perspective, mm. that the other person there could have been making some of those noises. So that's quite a good um, interpretation of it. Well, because it, it's a, I, it's a I kind of look at it, I kind of listen to it and think he's making all the noise, but you're saying actually no, some of it could actually be the other person causing mm. these noises. Sure, yeah, I, I just think um, what, whatever it is is causing him a great deal of pain and discomfort, but it, equally, I, I, I don't know, but perhaps if he had something in his mouth or whatever, mm. um, you know, then somebody else is acting in a very peculiar way and it's just scaring the life out of him. Um, mm. Do you remember by any chance what sort of injuries he did have? Um, well, he didn't have any injuries that showed he'd been tortured or anything that would make that kind of, that kind of noise, no. No, okay, no. fair enough. Um, that's it, no. Yeah, it's just really weird. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm trying to bear in mind that at the end of the day, there's a, you know, there's a, a bereaved family out there, and I, I don't want to put uh, a light uh, spin on it at all. It's it's very important to them. And, and you know, it's something that people need to get to the bottom of, Um do you perhaps know whether the police are still treating it as an open case or have they just come to a dead end with it now? Well, as far as I know, it's still open. Um, I do wonder what they might be doing in terms of looking still, I suppose, at sure. um, associates, known associates to him. Um, yeah. I, I would imagine there's a lot that is not out there in the public domain. Oh, absolutely, that, yeah. I, I think Again, that, though, uh, perhaps it's gone cold. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I think there is, with these cases, there is only so much you can do. Um, and, you know, if he did have financial problems, it, does that have a bearing on it? Um, well, probably not, unless somebody was coming after him for money. But uh, even then, it doesn't explain, the, you know, the manner of his death. It certainly doesn't explain that voicemail. Okay, um, let's move on to the next case now, which is... A, I hate to use the term favourite, but it's one of those ones that I come to again and again and again. And there's so much stuff out there. Um, there's a video of this young girl. And there are also social media accounts for her, some of which I suspect might be uh, fake. But uh, we're talking about uh, Elisa or Elisa Lamb. Um, would you like to take us through the basics on this story, please, Steph? Well, Elisa Lam was a Canadian student who had taken some time out of her studies and decided to go and do a bit of travelling. Um, so leaving Canada, she'd gone to, ended up in, in Los Angeles and was staying in a hotel called the Cecil Hotel, which actually was not probably the best kind of hotel to stay in. It wasn't very upmarket um, and, and anybody who lived around there would have said it's not it's not a really good place to go. Um, had a bad reputation in terms of um, having had serial killers um, operating there, and even one was living there back back in the days. Well, she'd actually been reported as missing um, for about five days, um, and the police had actually released a missing persons report and also a video. But this wasn't really widely known until um, guests in the hotel, this was back in February 2013, the guests in the hotel started 
complaining that the water tasted funny in their rooms and looked a little bit discoloured. So the hotel asked their maintenance man to go up onto the roof of the hotel to take a look at the water tank, which he did. Um, and inside he found Elisa Lam's naked body and her clothes nearby and clearly she was obviously dead and it was then that people picked up on the fact that there was also this this video recording of her taken inside the hotel which showed her last sort of known movements and the video is very very strange and this is what again caught everybody's attention because she is seen entering the lift or the elevator of the hotel and she presses all of the buttons. So rather than just press the down button, she presses a sequence of buttons. And then whilst waiting for the door to close, she peeks out and looks into the corridor, which we can't see very much of on the video. And she looks around, she comes back in, she gets out again, peeks a bit further, disappears from view down the corridor, comes back into the lift. And at this stage, is that's when she begins to look a little bit distressed. Um, now, it has to be said that she had a history of having been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And there were traces of the pills that she took um, in the autopsy. So it, it appeared that she was probably taking them, but she may have come off them or not taken the dose she needed. So this could all be explained perhaps by a manic episode. But that's the most obvious answer. Um, but it was really the behaviour in the lift that struck people because the door doesn't close at all. And you could say, well, that's because she pressed all of the buttons. It's, it's malfunctioned. Yeah, um, I did wonder about that. Yeah, but you also wonder, was she talking to somebody in the corridor? Why was she peeking out? Was somebody there? Was somebody threatening her in some way? Because she's now in the, vid uh, now in the elevator again. And... Um, She's starting to wring her hands together as though she's in distress and she is making hand gestures, almost as though she's talking to somebody. And she also puts her hands up as though she can see somebody there in front of her and she's trying to touch them or she mm. thinks somebody's there. But but you can't see anybody there, obviously. Um, so why is she doing that? Um, now, again, you could say somebody has laced a drink and they've drugged her, perhaps. Sure. Um, other people said, well, look, if you look really closely at this video, you'll see disembodied faces and black shadows and something is in the elevator with her. Well, a skeptic would say that's just the quality of the video. But there is also the fact that it's it's probably been tampered with. The video itself, um, the surveillance footage that was taken, the security footage, has probably been tampered with. Um, well, so the video goes viral really because n nobody can understand why she ended up in the water tank. Well, the tank um, was supposed to be only accessible by a locked door. Well, perhaps the the, um, the lock was open and, and it was supposed to be alarmed. Sure. Perhaps the alarm wasn't on. Um, it, it was 15 feet up to get into the tank. And some a lot of people would say, well, she couldn't have done that herself. She couldn't have lifted the lid off. And if she did, why on earth did she end up getting into the tank? Was somebody chasing her? Did somebody take her up there and put her in it? Um, so there's all these possibilities. Um, and it did lead to lots of debate on the internet and still does. Um, interestingly, I found um, something really fascinated me was that a man called Dr. James um, Douglas Cottrell, who calls himself the equivalent or the um, 
follow on from Edgar Cayce. Well, Edgar Cayce was very famous for being able to go into a trance and diagnose if people had illnesses and also diagnose things, um, give predictions and things that, that would happen in the future. Okay. And he was supposed to be very, very accurate. Well, this man is his, um, is his what's the word? Um, progressor. Pro- protege um, or just yes, yes, successor. Yeah, yes. Yes. And he said, he made a video that I found and he said, I'll tell you what happened um, while, while I'm in a trance, I'll say what happened. He said she was um, receiving messages that were being beamed into her head. Um, and this was being done by a figure that was standing on the roof and the figure was all in black and it was either wearing a balaclava or it had a hood on. And he said it was either incarnate or discarnate it was either alive or it was a dead spirit and he said that it was using some kind of laser type thing that was beaming self-destructive instructions into her head and it was telling her to kill herself Mm. um well you know is that possible well the funny thing about it is as well that she she did as you say had um an active social media but not many photos on it but she had tweeted just prior to her disappearance she'd shared a message about a canadian company being given funding from the pentagon to um develop cloaking technology that would make soldiers invisible yes and it's something that's been going on i think with defense companies and there was also the suggestion that um, somebody was saying that if you look on Google Maps, you'll find a company that exists right next door to that hotel, and it's called the Invisible Light Agency. Well, I have to say, when I tried to find it without going through the links that these people had put up, I couldn't see it there. Is that because it's invisible? Yeah. Or... <laughs> Sorry. <Is> there... <laughs> yeah, it is invisible. Yeah, so it's there, but you can't see it. Yeah. Uh, so and, and their specialism. Um, so some people say this this company does exist there, and that they do, they specialize in using waves of energy that will bend light and 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 make things invisible. Mm. Um, but this goes on and on because there was a a TB test. Well, I, I was going to ask about this because this is mm. one of the most peculiar aspects of this story. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, short. Please. Yeah. yeah. Well. The test was called Lamelisa, but it was developed in 2009, and it was a testing kit that can be used to pick up a particular strain of TB, which can be rife. Once it starts, it can be very contagious. Well, so people really were focusing on this and saying, what did it mean? And I don't know. What does it mean? Does it mean that she was um, given... Uh, of course, that she was put into the water. Does it mean that, um, let's say, she was infected with TB and it was um, a plot to spread the disease through the water and give it to people and then, you, you know, use drugs on them to see what could resist it? Or mm. was it some kind of biological weapon testing, you know? It's it's really, really strange. I mean, I've, I've looked up that test online. It does exist. Mm. Um, and it is called exactly that, the Lamb Elisa test. Um and now, I suppose what you have to do is sort of suspend disbelief for a minute and just say, right, okay, um, is there actually a link between the two, or is it just that it's two people with uh, transposed names, or sorry, a kit with a transposed name of a person, or vice versa? Um, what some people appear to be saying is that, um, you know, some 
deep dark government agency are doing these tests as you mentioned just there and as a bit of a joke they gave her a name uh, which was the exact opposite of the test used to uh, discover mm. it I, I don't know how I think about I uh, feel about that I think that's perhaps pushing it a little too far but that is my own opinion on it I think um, I think that the very peculiar thing about the whole story is literally the fact that she's turned up in the water tank on the roof um so she's she was found in there naked um do you know were the clothes actually in the tank as well or were they found somewhere else if i can remember correctly um they were inside the tank okay so you know so it's possible that she may have undressed herself but it's an incredibly strange thing to do that what this you know this article that i was reading was suggested well yes there's a locked door to get up to the roof it also had an alarm on it um the ladder to get up to the water tank you had to jump up to get hold of it um it, it just strikes me as it's so many obstacles just to appear up there um now the video when you watch it and for anybody who wants to see it it's on youtube on various different uh um programs there and uh yeah some of it's got talking over but the best one is really just the one that shows the cctv footage i must admit i don't see any um faces in there or anything like that just uh digital artifacts because of the poor quality of the footage um but she does act in an incredibly strange way um whether when she walks into the lift it's just like she walks in normally i don't see anything particularly strange with that mm. um it's like she becomes aware of something after she's, she's inside um i really don't know what to make of it um but uh, again now this takes me on to something else. Um, she is a Canadian student, and uh, I'm not, not sure what her background is, whether she's Korean, Chinese, or um, you know, whatever country her, her forebears may have come from. Um, but there was a, um, a cult movie uh, from the Far East called, uh, is it Dark Water? Dark Waters. Mm. Yeah, I've never seen it. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it. Okay, no. um, so as I understand it, um, in dark waters, um, a dead body is hidden in a water tank in a block of flats, um, and then people start complaining about the quality of the water coming out of it. So, uh, you know, it, it, people go, oh, "Well, that's you know, that's suspicious in itself because it mirrors a movie." Well, the thing is, also movies mirror real life. Um, you know, there are only so many um, ideas which are new. Mm. Um, so who knows I mean how many times have you heard of uh, dead pigeons getting into water tanks and that uh, not uh, being particularly nice but uh, here we are I think the strangest thing about it as well is um, and now this didn't sort of come out when I was looking into it and bearing in mind I might be a bit rusty on these because I was doing it sort of two or three years ago but I don't remember coming across this and the fact that it seems that she entered the hotel um, and was last seen in the company of two men. And they had a box which they gave to her. Oh, no, I'd not heard of this. Yeah. What was in the box? Don't know. Mm, don't know. Don't know. And who were the men? And I don't know. <laughs> no. no. Uh, okay, well, I need to do some more reading. That's, uh, that's obvious. So do I. You were saying that, uh, you were telling me off air earlier on that you're going to be reinvestigating this one yourself. 
yes, uh, Elisa and Henry, I'm, I'm going to be reinvestigating because, as I say, I, I feel really rusty at the moment because I kind of looked into it when they first happened and a lot can be d- developed, you know, in the next sort of, in the, la- in the last 18 months um, that is probably going to take weeks and weeks to go through. Um, I'm also talking to somebody who, um, for his own, uh, I suppose we call safety really, and of course that confidentiality, hmm. um, I, I, I think has got some very important information for me um, about the Elisa Lam case, whether I will be able to um, utilise that. It, um, because the, the thing is, I, I even got to a stage at one point when I was looking into it where I thought this is a hoax, because if you try and find some of the people who were supposedly investigating it or, you know, um, coroner's assistants and things, it's very difficult to find information on some of these people. So I almost came around to thinking, oh, kiddo, this is, this is some kind of hoax here. Mm. But it's not. It's I mean, it's definitely not. Um, but that's how how um, you can really go round and round and, and never never quite know where you're going with things um now obviously I'm, I'm speaking to somebody who is very much um telling me no this is certainly not a hoax um and it's not some kind of thing that was created to do a movie it really happened um but, the, but you know the mystery te- the mystery um posts on tumblr and um twitter and things well again that you know that ca- that continued on after she died um but these can be set to pre post so you can set them to go up on a scheduled date you know sort of calendar diarize these posts to to come so it could be that she'd done that but then other people say well why was why was somebody posting things on behalf of her when she disappeared and died that's right i mean i I saw her instagram account or an account that's uh, been um suggested that it was hers and all of the pictures that are on it apart from the one that's used for the actual um avatar for the account appear to be just rubbish stock photos which uh, yes. you know, nobody in their right mind would actually post unless they're just testing out or something like that but uh, I mean, I'm on Instagram and I, I, I stick stuff up there that makes sense to me but uh, I can't imagine that the stuff that's on there makes sense to anybody to be fair No it's all very cryptic isn't it and um, I mean she did do some posts before she died and uh, she, she, I don't know, it's kind of sort of quite emotional perhaps, you know, because I think she did sort of maybe get depressed at times, things like that. Um, So there's there's all of that as well. And there's even um, somebody even found that um, on a a different sort of note, um, Alistair Crowley actually stayed in the Cecil Hotel in London, so not not in L.A. But he'd written a poem called Jephthah, and the character in the poem is called Sila which is an anagram of Elisa. And the poem is actually about a judge who willingly offers his daughter up to be sacrificed in water. Um, So there are so many different ways you can read into this story, which is, of course, why people find it fascinating. Um, Because, again, it could be the fact that, very, very sadly, somebody took her from inside the hotel, took her up to the roof, and they killed her. And that's it. Good grief. And, and and that's very possible that that's what happened. Um, but it, it is. I, I was yeah. going to say we'll uh, we'll take a quick break, Steph, and we'll come back straight afterwards, and then uh, and we'll move on to some other bits. But I, I think the story of Elisa Lamb is uh, one that's going to run and run, as they say. Mm, indeed. Okay, we'll be back after these words. And we're back. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so uh, an amazing hour 
so far with uh, Steph Young, author and researcher and collector of mystery stories. Um, Steph, we, we spoke so far about uh, the mysterious disappearances and deaths of Henry McCabe and Eliza Lamb. Um, your work as a writer and researcher encompasses an awful lot more than this. And I noticed that you uh, you also do some books about strange things in the woods. Um, you know, I, I didn't ask you to sort of go and revise all of that stuff for this interview, but I just wonder, could you give us a quick, um, a quick taster of the other things that we could find in your books? Well, some of the things you could find in the woods um, are, for example, a man was in the Ansonia National Reserve in America, Connecticut. And this was back in 2011. And he said that he often would go there in the nature reserve for, for late night walks. And he happened to be out there at about 3 a.m. one night. And it was a very bright moon, so he could see very, very clearly. And it was quite open, the area that he was walking in, when all of a sudden he saw a deer and it came skitting um, across the path in front of him. And it was very spooked. But he said it wasn't spooked by him. It was running from something. And he said it just went eerily quiet then after that, as though something was about to happen. But he carried on walking along the path. And he was on open terrain, but it ran parallel to the woods. And he said, then I suddenly noticed about 25 yards ahead of me, I could see this figure. It was a crouching figure and it was standing in a really aggressive posture, looking straight at me. And he said, I already knew, subconsciously I knew that this was not human. It was almost of an alien type thing. And he said, yeah, I know that there would be other logical explanations, but I can't find one because it was glowing a blue grey colour and it, he said I could see from the moon and it was naked as well. It had an oversized head, its arms and legs were really skinny and yet to him it still seemed human in form but he said it was very athletic looking, very strong looking but it was in this posture like it was ready and it was aggressive and it was intensely focused on him. And he said I couldn't see any eyes, yet I knew it was staring straight at me. And he said, it was like we were in a standoff, like we were two animals guarding our terrain. And he said, I felt as if I'd stumbled onto this entity too soon, almost as though he'd been there waiting for me, but I'd come along too soon. And now it was really alert. And he said, what it did was it turned and it suddenly ran very, very athletically and very fast back into the woods. And he heard the bushes. But he said the trees were so thick that really this thing couldn't have got through into the trees and been running at that speed because it couldn't have got through the trees and the bushes that fast. But he said, you know, I know I'm going to be ridiculed, um, but there was this this strange energy about this thing. And he said, I know that it had danger and I know that it was waiting there to ambush me, but I'd come across it too soon and I'd seen it. And he managed to... Um, you know, sort of carry along on the path because he had to, to come out of the woods and the, the nature reserve. But he said, all that time, I had this feeling that it was going to come back. And, you, you know, and he said the way it ran off, it was in a very, very confident way. It didn't run off scared from me. Yeah. It ran off yeah. in a very regimented, very controlled way, as if to say, well, you know, I'll come and get you another time. Okay. 
you know that would just really chill me that that, that story is just I, I would have been out of there like a shot I, oh, I i'd have been running the other way i yeah. mean th- there was a time i went up to uh rendlesham forest to have a look around there i mean we all know about the story at rendlesham forest um but, but i don't know there's just something about being in a place like that where um you get the, um, you know, especially if your brain is in that particular mood that day, you just suddenly get the feeling that you're being watched. And, uh, you know, it's probably paranoia and it's probably absolutely nothing, but uh, it does happen. And then when you hear stories about people that this has actually happened to, and then you kind of wonder why would anybody go in there anyway? Um, you know, I've got friends over in um, in the States, as I know you have, and uh, a friend of mine lives in Portland in Oregon. And obviously it's just it's just forest for as far as the eye can see and he goes out camping in the woods there and i I just don't know how he does it i really don't um well there we go um steph you have been an absolutely amazing guest and i really am grateful to you for coming on the show this evening um i think it's only fair if if somebody wants to find you i know you're on facebook um you also have a a new group on facebook as well which uh will turn up if somebody types your name in um just tell us a little bit about your books um a couple of the titles and where people can get them from um they're all on amazon but they are as stephen so they're s-t-e-p-h-e-n young but um and i uh, yes facebook steph young author welcome to come along (laughs) and um that's it really yeah that's fabulous steph thanks ever so much and i think uh, you know from everybody here it's a happy christmas to you and yours and uh, we'll speak to you again early next year hopefully thank you so much for having me on paul and happy christmas to you and all of your listeners thank you so much thanks steph take care now take care Anomaly is independent media. Comments and beliefs of guests do not necessarily reflect the views of those behind this podcast. Thank you to Dutch musician Michette for our great theme tune. Visit his site at michette.com or look for his work on SoundCloud. Please visit our website at anomaly.co.uk and email us through studio at anomaly.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at AnomalyCast. Watch out for the latest episode of Anomaly.